Time to get you nooner on. Uh, by the way, if you're over here driving through Chattanooga, be careful. Just started pouring like over on 75, right here by Freight Alley. Hope you're all doing well. Good Monday. Writing prompt came in over the weekend, by the way. Check this out. I was curious because supply chains win wars. I was curious what all you supply chain nerds thought about this because someone put out, if you split the U.S. in half and started a war, which side is winning? And usually when these topics come up, right, it's like on political lines or it's the, you know, the North versus the South. But here we got like a direct split between the East and the West. And for you audio listeners, you can't see this map, but the line goes directly through the center of the country, meaning that on the East Coast, we get Houston. Right? We get Houston in the supply chain war. Well, what did you all have to say about who's going to win this thing? Stephen Title says the West Coast, no doubt. He said Amazon pulls out service in the East. It's a good uh, good point there, Stephen. We're talking about supply chains all the time. What about the information supply chain? Take away AWS. We would be kind of screwed. Um, he says Microsoft stops computer service in the East. And last but not least, Starbucks pulls out of the East. Well, Stephen, we have a thing called Dunkin' Donuts over here on the East Coast especially up in Boston, buddy. So I think we'll be fine. Bill Hell said, East is the side with Chicago. No doubt, Bill. East represent over here. Joseph M says, all you have to do with the East Coast to beat them is take away their coffee. Access to Starbucks. Again, are you guys not aware of this? We have Dunkin' Donuts. America runs on Dunkin', not Starbucks. Matthew Carter says, for supply chain, the East, hands down. This guy's the smartest guy in the comments. He says, and I live in the West. The modern supply chain is built around population distribution. Huh, we got a picture of that. Show the population distribution in the United States, by the way. Take a look at that right there. The West may have more land, but the East has more trucks. The West is more long haul, primarily to get goods from the West Coast over to the East Coast population. The East is actually transportation network dense. A man who knows what he's talking about. Eddie Ferraro said, have we learned nothing from Tupac and Biggie? William Kerr says East. James Crowley said he's screwed. That black line goes directly through his house, garage and master bedroom in the rest in the West. The rest of the house lies in the East. You know, he's going to have to pick a side. Anthony Bennett said, a hard choice. West has Cowboys. East has tough street folk. Close call by Wimberley. The West would win. The East Coast couldn't provide enough food to support itself. Interesting. Interesting. Is that true? Uh, Nick Holiday says, let's not go there. There isn't much sustainable land to raise cattle in the east, and I damn sure enjoy a good steak occasionally. Not to mention 90% of our produce comes from California. My daughter would be pissed. No more strawberries until springtime. All right. Well, maybe I'll ask some of our experts today what they think about that one. Because on the show, we've got Flytrek CEO Yarif Bash. He's going to share the latest in unmanned drone delivery. I know they have some cooking, so we'll find out what they got going on. Um, we've been in a freight recession for nearly a year. But what does that say about the greater economy? AIT CEO Von Moore. He's going to talk about how this could be a year of two halves. Um, the year started off with travelers feeling firsthand how the cost of an action can sting. But... Is Southwest all that different than your own dock door? C3 Solutions CRO Greg Braun shares how an inefficient dock can cost you drivers and customers. Plus, we got flatbedding TIE fighters, trucking birds, and would you quit for $2,000 for all that, though? Got to tip the band. Then we're going to get over to uh, someone right in our own house. 
So let's do it. You may think of AIT Worldwide Logistics as an average U.S. forwarder, but in the past decade, they've evolved to become a global transportation management leader, generating nearly $3 billion in annual revenue by providing supply chain solutions for Fortune 500 companies shipping between Asia, Europe, and North America. Despite the company's exponential growth, they are still the experts when it comes to creating customized solutions to fulfill your supply chain requirements. Find out how your business can benefit from AIT's logistics pros at AIT Worldwide. Dot com. But hey, let's bring our first guest on. And I think it's his first time on the show. It's Joe Antoshack, FreightWave senior editorial researcher, and it's been too long. What's up, Joe? Hello, Dooner. I'm so excited to be here. I spent a lot of my time in spreadsheets, so this is a lot more exciting. It is. And you've gotten around your article. It resonated with a lot of people. It got a ton of traction on FreightWaves.com. I've seen you even showing up on some podcasts talking about this tough issue. Let's set the table here. What was the survey that you did and why did the FreightWaves research team take it on? Yeah, so uh, we were really curious to know kind of how widespread the market deterioration uh, was that, that that we'd sort of been experiencing uh, for the last 12 months or so. Uh, and we wanted to understand how um, owner operators were dealing with it, right? They uh, from a lot of respects, are are kind of the most vulnerable to this market volatility. Um, they have the least kind of capital cushion, uh, oftentimes the least diversified business models. So we wanted to get a sense of of what was going on for them at the moment. And uh, right, so uh, earlier this month, we sent out uh, a series of emails to our carriers on the back end, and we asked specifically for owner operators. And we got you know 120 responses, and uh, about 100 of them were owner operators. So we just looked at that data. Uh, and the the story is is pretty much what you'd expect. You know, the 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 market it was not nearly as good in 2022 as it was in 2021, and 2023 is potentially looking worse. Cool. Well, hey, so here is a comment that was under your story that I think underscores a lot of why you're looking into this, and especially why you were targeting owner operators. It's from someone named Rob Myrick, and he said, "Being an independent owner operator in Central California, I can't run local. The fuel costs eat me up." especially if that load is a frozen load running in continuous. Now, in the past couple of years, the cheap fuel states seem to be looking for more revenue and raising taxes on fuels as a result. The price of parts to fix a truck and trailer have absolutely skyrocketed. Shop rates also gone up. I've never, ever seen them go down in my 35 years of trucking. I find myself spending more time thinking about other money-making options out there than I am about driving. It seems like this is a comment that we're hearing a lot. Yeah, exactly. So, so going into this survey, uh, you know, my my own kind of like personal bias, I, I sort of expected that we were going to see revenue having like taken a hit uh, in 2022, and in fact, it actually was not revenue that that was the biggest problem for these owner operators. Uh, mostly, it was expenses, uh, and um, uh, a group of them, about a third of our owner operators who responded, said that they were. Uh, probably going to have to leave the industry if things didn't rebound in the second half of the year. Uh, and that group, their expenses grew by something like 38%, 39% year over year from 2021 to 2022. And that is, I mean, that's ridiculous regardless of, of what you're doing, but but certainly in trucking, I mean, that's like a devastating uh, result. You know, it, it a lot of it has to do with that uh, abundance of capacity that entered the market to, to answer it. There's an article on FreightWaves that says, uh, that came out today. It said truckload market has 25% too much capacity. And this is a quote from it. It said the supply side of trucking transportation market is very slow to move. Historically, only changing about 1% a month. If we apply that rate forward, it'll be 2025 before capacity and demand are in alignment. 
Yeah, and that's that. I mean, that's really crazy to think about. Cer- certainly not good for uh, a lot of these owner operators that uh, that that I talked to both in the survey and then that I reached out to uh, after the fact. They um, they're really struggling right now. So yeah, twenty twenty five. That's that's probably not going to come soon enough. And Tanner DeHart, he said, quick math. The average length of haul is at 599 miles. Average rate is 238. Um, This doesn't add up, though. That's, what is it, 1542 of that is fuel. And he's just showing how how the struggle for this. I think we have a chart here. Let's go through some of this. Full-year owner-operator financial results for 2021 and 2022. Throw that one up here. Joe, tell me what we're looking at. Uh, let me let me check. Yeah, so, so so this one here, this kind of shows our like median numbers that we got from uh, all of our respondents, right? So you see, twenty twenty one, the median gross revenue was at two twenty four thousand. Uh, in twenty twenty two, the revenue actually went up to two hundred forty thousand. But when you look over uh, to the next set of columns, there you see the expenses. That one twenty two five, that was the median gross expense. Uh, in twenty one, that climbed to one fifty in twenty twenty two, right? So. You look at the net profit then uh, in in the next column over from that, and you see that despite that revenue growth, uh, net profit is actually getting cut into in 2022, uh, and the dynamics have not improved since 2022 for 23. So you can just imagine that net profit is is being eaten away at more and more, right, as expenses remain pretty high uh, and rates continue to go down. Interesting. You know, in terms of um, end of the line for the owner operators, you had a question here that kind of spoke to that. It says, please like the following statements that apply to you. Tell me what you're trying to ferret out here. Yeah. So, so, I mean, well, really what I wanted to do was be able to analyze, um, how financial information was different for owner operators as a whole that responded to the survey vote versus their, those that were doing, uh, really poorly. Right. So, so I wanted to see like what the difference was, uh, and so those people who said that they were, you know, about to to leave the industry or whatever, uh, their uh, year over year change in net profit uh, actually dropped like more than twenty five percent year over year. Whereas like the overall median, uh, it did it, it was a drop as we just talked about, but it was only around like twelve percent, right? So that's like a pretty dramatic difference. Uh, and I kind of basically what we were getting at ultimately was that like uh, the the owner operators who are struggling the most are those who um, maybe have not spent enough time either in the industry just in general or uh, you know haven't spent enough time really figuring out uh, how to be as efficient as possible when on the road. That operational efficiency is especially important in times like these when expenses are climbing uh, and rates are falling. You know, you really have to be tight about all of these things. So are, is there any optimism going into this year? I know you you put out a chart on a scale of uh, zero to five rate how you feel about going into 2023. Um, what do these results say to you? Yeah, so so that chart is not especially optimistic, right? Because it suggests yeah. that 2023 is in fact worse than 22, uh, which was evidently not very good for owner operators. Um, but the 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 one piece of of like optimism that I sort of took from these results was that nearly half of our owner operator respondents still said that you know profit margins were decreasing, but the business is still sound, you know, like we're, we're still making this work uh, and we're going to cont- uh, continue to. Right. Uh, and, 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 and that was also true for some of the people I talked to who, um, you know, said like things are a little tough right now, but this isn't unusual. Like this happens, uh, you know, every few years. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the average owner operator, according to OIDA is something like 
I don't know, they've been an owner operator for 20 years. So this isn't even close to the first downturn they've, they've seen. So it's not like the owner operator is actually dead. It's just like, uh, you know, some in the industry are getting weeded out right now. Hey, and look, there's like, there's some owner operators who came into the business two years ago. They didn't have the right fundamentals. They're not necessarily sound. And I think some of the longer term owner operators doesn't mind if there's a culling of the herd. But, you know, when you have rejection rates at 3.5% and you got, you know, over the road driving 238 or whatever it is today, it's just, it's, it's not good. You need some sort of a, you need some sort of change. I hope we see that change around. No one else wouldn't be good, Joe. If this country What's divided that? down the middle and it went West Coast versus East Coast, supply chains win wars. Who wins this war? Yeah, so East or West? this one came. Yeah, so for this one, it's got to be like like ultimately the decision maker. East wins. Trying to think of California and Texas working together at the same table is just I I can't imagine it. It's just going to be too too much infighting. They're going to just uh, ruin the whole thing for the West. Oh, I like it. So they won't even be able to get their ass together to even fight back. They're just a better no infrastructure, way. more people, more ties to the East Coast. You're just not going to compete. Exactly. Yeah, it's not even close. Joe, I, I love it, man. People who want to read more of your articles, they want to read more Freightways research. Where do I send them to? Yeah, so they can connect with me on LinkedIn or follow me there. Uh, I share a lot of our stuff uh, for my LinkedIn page. Um, you can just search Joanna Shack Freightwaves, whatever. Uh, and that should show up uh, on Google, Bing, whatever your uh, preferred search engine is. Bing. I haven't heard about Bing in a long time, so that chat GPT. Oh, no, is it Sydney? It's Sydney. <laughs> well, that's the thing, yeah. Line. Yes. All right. Well, hey, Joe, I appreciate your time today. We'll have you on uh, much more often. Don't be a stranger and take care. Thanks, Dooner. You too. Take it easy. All right. You know, driving around on the road, over the road, it can get lonely. A lot of people bring pets with them. Well, let's take a look at this lady's pet. Meanwhile, trucking with birds. So this little psychopath is Bonnie. She is about eight to 10 years old. I'm really not sure about her age, but I know I'm about her sixth home. She does have a couple behavioral issues, mainly aggressive towards strangers. She's extremely opinionated about everything. And this little cutie is Dragon. Dragon's my baby. He's only about three to four months old. So we're still working on a lot of baby behavior. I do have a medical kit on board and a vet I even work with. At night, they're extremely quiet. They put themselves to bed. I don't even have a cage on here. They both like to sleep right there. When the sun is up, they are up. However, if I close my curtains, they'll stay asleep. Obviously, they poop on me constantly. Can't you see that I'm covered? Bonnie is actually potty trained. She only likes to go to the bathroom in two spots. I'm working on Dragon. We'll see what goes with them. So far, don't poop on me is the starters. Do they fly out of the truck? No. It's one reason why I'm going to keep their wings clipped. Bonnie, she's now at a half clip because it has happened before. Luckily, I was able to grab Bonnie very quickly, but full flight, it's just not gonna happen. But they are able to fly around in the truck and even in their own room at my house. Bonnie decides she wants to go outside with me. She's always more than welcome to. So she will sit on my shoulders and we will go out and have fun. But let me show you guys this crazy thing I have for them. So it starts here. There's a snack station, lots of chew toys that get switched out fairly often, all the way up. More snack station and their food and water all the way back to my seat. Wow. 
All right. I don't know if I could do it. Vaughn, Vaughn Moore, executive chairman, CEO at AIT Worldwide Logistics. Are you a bird guy? Uh, I have to say that I'm I'm not, um, but I, you know, have played a, a pirate before, so maybe we could add to that. I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, speaking of pirates, it feels like the economy has been kind of plundered. Everybody, you know, we've talked the whole past year about the freight recession, but uh, freight recession and maybe even recessions in general, they seem uh, asymmetric or they're not hitting things the same way. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about over the, the economic recession that is going on. What's your opinion? And are, are we going to see one? Well, I think we've already been in one, so it's yeah. kind of hard to say, are we, have, are we going to see one? I think we're going to see slower growth. I think that's a fact. Um, I think it's going to be broken out, uh, as we'll discuss a little later, maybe, as we can talk about two halves. I think we're going to see two halves in the coming year. But there's bad news and good news with that. I mean, there's bad news in the sense that interest rate hikes continue to occur, which uh, slower our economy. But uh, that's a factor, right? And then you've got layoffs that have happened with tech companies and our own industry itself has started uh, to do more and more layoffs, which is a calling of the herd like you just discussed earlier. Um, China's catching up on their COVID, uh, uh, really letting things down from lockdowns, which has affected the global economy briefly here, but it will only continue, hopefully, for the rest of the year. But it's, it's still a challenging time for that. But the good news is, is that, look, consumers are starting to see that maybe the inflation has peaked. Maybe um, it, it, as much as we're talking about with layoffs in our industry, layoffs in general and, and job rates are looking to be historically low. Um, and the good part about that actually is when I mentioned about China opening up uh, for COVID, they're projecting a 5.5% uh, growth rate. So there are some possibilities uh, for, for things to be excited about, but I don't think it's going to come in the first half of this year. So how is Nashville? You meant that you mentioned the tale of two halves. That is uh, something that Craig Fuller, when he was on here near the end of last year, we were, he was giving our predictions for next year. He also saw a tale of two halves. And I know you were in Nashville doing the keynote at Air Cargo 2023. And I think your session was called a tale of two halves. Did you think that was just an air freight or is that the whole freight economy? Tell us about this keynote. Well, I think it affects uh, all of our industry. Now I'll break it down this way. It, when we had inventory, um, just spike up, right, in the last couple of years particularly. We went from a just-in-time in logistics to a just-in-case during COVID to a just-get-it-the-hell-out-of-my-warehouse. Uh, in fact, I think I might have talked to you about it before, and that was a big part of my speech because we're going to have a really rough Q1 for almost every aspect of our industry in logistics. We're going to have a really rough Q2, but I believe Q3 can start showing some aspects of uh, growth um, some of this inventory getting moved out of our warehouses and Q4 having a favorable comparison, particularly year over year, because Q4, many of us in the industry uh, had some tough times in, in Q4 of 22. And maybe that'll be a favorable comparison leading us into 24 for some optimism. Um, so that's that's a big part of what I talked about. It's a um, it's a difficult time to be able to be predicting what's happening in unprecedented times. Uh, one thing I can give you is uncertainty. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty in almost every area because we're seeing unprecedented uh, uh, gaps in aspects where capacity is available, but demand's not there. And I really do feel like the latter half of this year is where we can see some hope. 
What do you, what kind of advice do you have for the hopeful? I started off this show talking to Joe about an owner operator survey where 33%, you know, are like, look, if things don't get better, I'm washing out of this industry. How do we keep some players in this industry? How do they weather the storm? Well, number one, I mean, we have to be sensitive to those needs, right? And I think a lot of it in our entire society has to do with uh, the mental aspect of it. Have empathy towards those challenges of what people are facing. Um, I, from a company standpoint, and it's a harder for inter, for owner operators, they're their own master more or less. And so they're relying on companies to provide them with the business. Uh, all they can do is try to be as creative as they can with companies like my own and others that are hopefully finding creative ways to get them business and to stay in it and be as, as creative as we could be to make it as sexy as an industry as we possibly can. Um, it's hard, though. I, I don't think there's a great answer for that. I'd love to say that, Dooner, that there is, and there's no magic pill for it. Um, it's just we've seen that this industry is resilient, though. It's cyclical. It was talked about earlier. We we, we are not unique. This happens um, every few years, and we've seen it. There's weeding out. It's necessary. And sometimes we have to find ways to be more and more efficient. And during downtimes, if you have put some money away, there's some times to really uh, maybe invest in some areas to make you more efficient and give you some um, some market differentiation that could really benefit you. And maybe that's some other aspect that you could look at in your industry. Interesting. And so how did you guys do in 2022? Was it was was that all right? And, and what's on the horizon in 2023? Well, it was a record year. And, and again, in our industry, if you're not having record years in freight forwarding, there's something wrong uh, in the last two years, particularly for us. It was wonderful. We achieved uh, over $2.6 billion in revenue, um, best year we've ever had. However, it's much more about what the future holds and what are we doing to be able to uh, adjust to that and where we're going to invest to be more efficient. Um, we continue to expand globally. We've got some expansions that we'll be announcing uh, shortly. I think acquisitions, we have one coming up that we'll announce uh, in the next month, but it's a different world in acquisitions over this next year and things are going to get a little tighter, but there could be some good opportunities uh, to be able to partner with companies um, with some more realistic expectations. I, I just end on this statement that I believe that uh, when we have these type of downturns, these are where companies uh, define themselves. They reinvent themselves. And when you can go back to what your culture and your communications are and you focus on the process and not the outcome, uh, and not get overwhelmed about what that outcome is and just work your process. That's the best advice I'd have for an owner operator or any other aspect for a company is just focus on the process and the outcome will take care of itself. Very, very cool, Vaughn. Thank you very much. People want to learn more about AIT. Where should I send them to? Well, we've got our website, of course, AIT Worldwide. Um, you can be able to follow us on there and learn much more about us and also on LinkedIn or my own uh, my own. Um, role on LinkedIn too that you could look at. But thank you for your time. Always appreciate you. And uh, I love the hat, by the way. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, have to have to represent my culture in Massachusetts. I like it. Very cool. <laughs> thank you. Take care. Good stuff. All right, everybody. Let's take a look at a little strap work here. Use the force, Luke. Look at this. You all uh, commented in on this one. Here were your thoughts. Dan Reese said, 
Looks like a lot of force on those straps. I'd say it's tied down pretty well. Very punny, Danny. Uh, Justin Shepard says the strap work actually looks great on this one, but who freaking cares? The load is a 10 out of 10. Greg DeMeo said he needs to call the tire guy from the last post for some tips. Nicholas Hayward says the force is with this load 10 out of 10. Bob Ake says uh, Ewoks. Joshua Pemberton said, can this be delivered to my backyard? This is awesome. Joseph M says, what strap work? The force holds it all together. Two inch straps, not included. Morgan Caron says, uh, 10 out of 10. They had to do it right or face Darth Vader's wrath. The empire will show you the true nature of the force. If you damage this load, Brandon Paz says, okay, first, how did they get a hold of that thing? Secondly, great strap work. For those of you uh, audio listeners, it's a TIE fighter on a flatbed. Danielle Cook says, the strap looks great. The force is strong with this one. Ed Burns says, empirical, terrific tie down. Alan Rudder, how great would it be if the truck had a big speaker that had the sound effects from the movies? So if you were in a parking lot or of that McDonald's up ahead, you could see and hear them go by. I'm with it, man. Tony Darnell says, looks like chains on the actual structure and straps on the upper right portions and all seriousness this is actually a 10 out of 10 dooner morgan copeland said many people are getting serious about shooting these balloons down i'm with them uh dan burgold says strap i am your father turn to the dark side and big terry says adequate the tie has an anti-gravity field generator which makes the securement requirements null and void but at least this will satisfy those who are unaware of such technology being in place. I hear you, Big Terry. And then, of course, Eddie Forio says, rate the strap work in our moment of triumph. Very good. Very good Kylo Ren type stuff. All right, let's tip the band, and then we can get over to Greg Braun. Here we go. China, India, Vietnam, Belgium, France, Germany, Italy, Switzerland, the Netherlands, and the United Kingdom, Canada, and Mexico. AIT Worldwide Logistics has 2,000 supply chain experts in these countries and, of course, in offices across the United States. And in 2023, they're adding more locations around the world as the organization continues to expand and make it easier than ever for customers to ship between Asia, Europe, and North America. If you're ready to create a shipping program as unique as your business. As unique as this show, you can learn more at AITWorldwide.com. But hey, we got Greg Braun, CRO at C3 Solutions here. Let's see what he's up to in his uh, very red room. I like your room, Greg. Thanks, Duna. Yeah, and I tell you, I wasn't planning on uh, joining on my phone today, but, you know, we got to be able to react and roll with the punches it's live, here. It's live TV, Greg. We just got to, you know, cost <laughs> of an action, cost of an action. You not picking up that phone would have cost us this interview and all this great information you're going to share. Exactly. You know, we started this, we, you and I had a webinar um, a few days ago. We had some great guests on there. We heard from Rooms to Go. uh, We heard from CNS Wholesale Grocers. And the topic was on dock efficiency. And one of my quotes during that was sometimes your, your, your biggest efficiencies are right outside your dock door. You paralleled it to Southwest, right? We started out this year. Nobody could get their bags. Nobody could fly. You paralleled Southwest. Continue that parallel for those who did not have the privilege of hearing you say such. Yeah, well, I mean, for for those folks, I mean, and I, I think I dodged a bullet this uh, holiday season because for whatever reasons, we didn't weren't traveling uh, during the, the, the Christmas break. But for those that did, I mean, it was it was not a lot of fun. And first of all, everyone thought it was just due to bad weather. Uh, which that seemed to be the case. But, you know, about a week later, we had, um, you know, folks like the Wall Street Journal came out and said that, you know, in reality, the the, the major problems that the Southwest had was was all related to um, 
systems that weren't able to respond and systems that hadn't been upgraded for for years. They were homemade, home you know, proprietary type systems, which just weren't able to cut it. And it was the type of a, apparently it was like a scheduling system that they didn't really feel was mission critical. And they simply just did not um, upgrade it. And they had these um, massive ramifications. So, you know, Duner, we see the same thing in, 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 in the areas of, say, doc scheduling. And, and I know you and I also had a, a previous conversation as well. I think it was last year we were talking to Dave Carell, at, uh, Professor Dave Carell at MIT. And uh, they've done an excellent job at kind of uh, looking at really, you know, what are some of the main problems that companies are facing in regards, you know, the driver shortage and everything. And we find that really a lot of those problems are due to, you know, it's not really a driver shortage problem, but a driver utilization problem. Interesting. Um, and, yeah. I mean, and, you know, just think about it. Think back in the, in the day when we used to go to the airport before we could check in with our mobile phones. And, um, you know, you'd, you show up at the airport thinking that you'd shown up for like, say, an hour and a half ahead of time. Everything's great. You get there and there's this massive lineup of people and you're, you know, you're all stressed out. You're going to miss your flight. And, you know, that's what drivers experience today, basically on a daily basis. You just never know when you show up at a warehouse is it going to be, you know, clean, you know, clear sailing, or are you going to be in in a long line of trucks and spend the rest of your day there, and miss your your other appointments and and just lose a lot of money? That's what drivers are up against on a pretty much on a daily basis. So what what is tech doing to solve that? How is that being solved by tech? What's available to docs right now that they could serve their drivers better? Well, I mean, at C3, I mean, we have a we have a doc scheduling system, which we think is a really great way for for companies to organize themselves. But recently, though, we've added an, another feature to our system, which we call C3 Hive, which allows drivers to do exactly what we just talked about at the airport. So they can use their smartphones to check in in advance, and now when they show up at the at the distribution center at the warehouse, they're able to very easily let people know that yeah, we're here, and now the business can. Uh, you know, on the flip side, now they can very easily communicate to drivers. And in fact, it's it's not even they don't even really have to. It's just a system that's going to tell the driver that, hey, your door is available. You, you can, you know, you, you can go through and get to the warehouse. And, um, you know, it takes what was previously kind of a nightmare situation for drivers to be very, uh, very pleasant experience. Similarly to what we see today at the airport. You know, you go to the airport, you've checked in in advance. You've already got your boarding pass on your phone. You just go straight through. So what is the driver experience like? You kind of touched on that, but like, what, what are they doing? Walk me through this. Well, and so what are they doing like before? Yeah, how do they use it? Like, how do they use like C3 or whatever? Are they going on their cell phone? How does it work? How does, how does a human yeah, being well, use this? Well, it's very simple. Usually drivers that are delivering to one of our warehouses on their paperwork, they've got a QR code. So they just scan the, and they've got very explicit instructions to say, hey, when you arrive at the distribution center, scan the QR code and we'll walk you through it. So basically it's going to put them into the browser and they've got a few questions to answer. And then once they've done that, then the warehouse is made aware of the fact that driver is there. Uh, we know what the, that, uh, the merchandise is. And then as the business needs it, which usually corresponds to the time that he had his appointment for, he gets a message. Uh, you know, usually at that point, it's a text. Just say, hey, we're ready for you. Now, within that text, there's a there's a hyperlink. He clicks on the hyperlink. It takes him back into his browser. And uh, depending on the specific customer, a lot of them then provide a QR code from their security system. So now the driver just drives up to the gate, scans his phone, and, he, and then he, he moves on to the actual doctor. 
then when he's at the doctor, um, rather than kind of, uh, you know, having to, to bang on the on the glass and saying, hey, when, is, when am I up next? Or, you know, how's it going? Like he gets constant updates on his phone to say, hey, we're just about done. Get ready. You can leave now. And, you know, it's just a much more pleasant experience for the driver. Greg, you got an example of anyone who's using this really well. You don't necessarily have to name the, the company name. You could name the, the industry. But how are they using it well? How are they, how are they excelling? How are they being exemplary? Well, the, the industry that we've found so far that's using this the best is the grocery industry. And that's just simply due to the fact I think they've got more. Uh, they've just got huge volumes. And, they've, you know, their appointments there are so, mu- so much more critical uh, in that industry. So, yeah, we've got a, a couple really good customers that are using that in, in the grocery industry, and it's, and it's working out really well for them. I mean, the thing that we, we got when we first introduced the concept to, to our customers, there, was, there were a lot of, I'll have to say, there was probably a lot of naysayers in each one of the organizations saying, you know what, it's just never going to happen. Drivers today are bombarded with applications and so forth. They're just not going to want to do it. But then when you actually communicate to the drivers, say, hey, this is what, you know, these are the benefits you're going to gain by doing this. And, and like I said, they're not installing an app. It's just opening up their browser. But when they see the benefits of it, it's just kind of a no-brainer. Um, you know, I was, I was actually on site when we implemented it for the first time around. And I was there to, you know, maybe to expect a little bit of blowback. And the drivers were just, they just loved it. Interesting. Well, Greg, how do, first of all, there's, there's a couple of things because we, we went deep on this. So there's a, a webinar people can go listen to. Where do they find that? And where do they get more information on C3? Well, they can go to our website at uh, www.c3solutions.com. And if you go there and you go to our resource center, you'll be able to see that webinar that we were involved in. And um, yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of information in the, uh, in the resource center as well as uh, just on the website in general. But yeah, we've got a lot, of, a lot of great stuff there. And I encourage people to come and uh, look us up. Greg, what's, ex- what's exciting for you guys in 2023? Any new tech coming out? Any new developments? Are you excited that, as Vaughn said before you came on, it might be a tale of two halves, meaning we might actually have a good freight market in the second half? Anything got you excited? Yeah, well, I mean, we're really excited about, uh, you know, this just continuing on working with, uh, with, the, with this new, uh, the new system that we've got out there. Because, I mean, what I just mentioned today was only the first step of a lot of great things that we've got, uh, you know, we've got queued up. So, yeah. We're, uh, we're really pumped. Where are you, by the way? Where are you today? It looks uh, a little dreary. It's raining out here in Chattanooga. I'm actually at, I'm actually at my home in Montreal. So it's it's not dreary. It's it's actually oh. quite sunny. It's cold. Oh, interesting. It just looks cold. that way through the side door then. Yeah, oh, I, well, you I, know I what? So I've, got a, I've got a construction zone going on at my house. So that's why I kind of closed this um, this curtain. So, yeah. Well, it looks good. Enjoy Montreal. Have a good time. Hopefully that construction goes well and we'll connect again soon. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dooner. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate your time today. All right, guys. You know what I've been excited about? Drones, man. Drone delivery it keeps changing every year. People, I mean, I still haven't had one come to my house, so maybe I'll have to give uh, my next guest some grief about this, but let's bring him on. It's Yarev Bash. He's the co-founder and CEO over at Flytrex. Yarev, what's going on? How are you today? Hey, how are you doing, guys? So far, so good, I'd say. Where are you? You're sitting uh, out in a field? Are you in a field right now building drones, uh-huh. or is that a green screen? <laughs> That's a green screen. I'm at my house. I'm uh, I'm in Tel Aviv, so it's evening, and I'm uh, just hoping the kids won't uh, rush in every any second now, screaming or something. So uh, hopefully, the uh, we won't have any disturbances. You know, you were just at uh, Manifest. I bumped into you there. I'm curious. In 2023, what were most people asking you about drones? What were they curious about? 
Uh, well, most of them are asking, well, when can they get the drone delivery to their house? Yeah. Uh, so if you happen to live, you know, in, in Granbury in Texas or uh, in a few towns outside of uh, Raleigh Durham in uh, North Carolina, if you're living in those places, then you can already get a drone delivery to your house. It just works on a daily basis. Uh, the uh, the other towns across the U.S. well, we will be getting there in a, hopefully in a, in a year or two. Uh, things are really uh, you know taking off these days. The the FAA is pushing the envelope, and it's been taking some time as you know as everybody can see. But uh, last year we've just published we've made more than twenty one thousand deliveries uh, with drones to people's backyards. And this year, we expect to make a lot more. Uh, you can see the drones in the, uh, in the video in the background. It's just like any traditional on-demand service, Uber Eats, DoorDash, those guys. But it costs a lot less, both for the customer and the restaurant. And you get the food harder because we're a lot faster than the, uh, any alternative. Let me ask you something. What made you get into the drone space? Why did you decide to co-found this company? Well, I actually, uh, I, I, I came down from space. So uh, before Flytrex, I was the CEO and co-founder of a, uh, a not-for-profit uh, that's called Space IL, as in Space Israel. And we actually raised $100 million in donations and f- built the first private spacecraft uh, uh, to reach the moon. We ended up landing a bit faster than, expe- than expected, but that was the first private interplanetary spacecraft. Uh, so that's my background. And, you know, I went down from roughly 200,000 miles to uh, 200 feet. Uh, <laughs> but it's still, uh, I can't say that it's easier. It's actually harder to, uh, to receive approval to fly above people's heads is actually harder than to receive approval to launch on a SpaceX uh, rocket to the moon. Well, you know, I was going to ask you that. So what is the biggest hurdle here? It, it sounds like you already answered that. It's regulatory, not tech. You are, so you're saying the tech is there. It's just sort of the, the government has to allow these things in the airspace. Uh, well, exactly. We've been seeing drones flying above our heads for almost a decade now. Uh, the hard part is that as a commercial airplane. And our drones can buy online. But they're actually going through the same regulatory framework as if uh, they were a, a small uh, Dreamliner. And they should, uh, because at the end, we're talking about flying objects that are flying above our heads um, for you know, from morning till evening, delivering goods to people's backyards. You want our skies to stay as safe as they are today. So, you know, there are no complaints there. It's, uh, when we started the process, we knew it's going to be a lengthy one, and for a good reason. And we were ready for, you know, for a marathon rather than a uh, regular startup sprint. And so, and you are actually delivering right now. I believe it's in North Carolina in Texas. You actually have these. How many drones are out there delivering and, and what are they delivering? So we've got four stations. Uh, we've got between four and five drones at each station. Uh, we're delivering everything from uh, Chick-fil-A to... Uh, uh, I know, uh, Papa Jones to uh, Chili's uh, to uh, Raising Cane's. Uh, whatever we have in the area, we are there to deliver. Uh, the, the more restaurants we can service, uh, the more our customers would be happy with our service. How do they get the, because uh, I'm looking at this and it looks like it drops down a, a bag. So how does that work? How does the restaurant, uh, so t- give me, walk me through the experience. I'm hungry right now. Tell me what happens when I open up my phone. 
So uh, all you have to do is log into the Flytrex app. It looks like just like any other app. You input your home address and your credit card, of course, and we take it from there. Uh, our stations are located in a uh, shopping center, and then we service all the different restaurants in that shopping center, as you can see on the map. And uh, we just currently we have our runners. They uh, walk into the restaurant, pick up the food, just like any other service. But instead of driving to your house, all they have to do is walk a few hundreds of yards to our station, put the uh, package on the drone, and the drone just you know takes it from there. Our next version, uh, scheduled for later this year, the drones will just perform pickups directly from the restaurant, so it's going to be even faster for the uh, customers than it is today, and it's already a lot faster than anything else. Interesting. So, like, what is my, um, and I, I imagine you probably limit your delivery radius far below what they could actually go to, but, like, where could these expand to? Let's say, let's say all regulatory approvals go through, right? And you've got a shopping center that, and I imagine the shopping center must have some sort of, like, drone launcher at it, right? That's where the runner takes it to. Yeah. They put out the launcher. Exactly. How far... it, it looks, you can see it in the background. It's just, you know, just a piece of grass with a few, like, launch pads. We don't really need much, uh, we're talking about burrito and hamburger deliveries. These are not, you know, medical supplies. We're not talking long range. Everything has to be extremely lean for this to uh, to be affordable. How do they, so how does it work? What is, um, it's unmanned, right? So is someone still flying this though with a joystick? Is it using AI? How does that happen? Uh, so it's, it's pretty much autonomous. Uh, currently a single operator can handle four drones in the air simultaneously. So as you could imagine, he's not really holding a joystick and trying to uh, maneuver all four drones simultaneously. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, all our operator has is a, a tablet. The system tells it to put the, uh, the McDonald's package on drone B. And all he has to do uh, is press a button on the tablet and the system takes it from there. He still oversees all the drones. So in case there's something unexpected, he can call the drones back home you know, with a press of a button. So far, we, I don't think we ever done that. Uh, so it's it's pretty, again, pretty autonomous. And the goal is for a single operator to actually oversee a few stations with a few dozens of drones in the future. How do you make sure my stuff doesn't topple over? I mean, and does wind impact when these can deliver? I imagine there would have to be some sort of weather uh, concerns. So we actually have uh, customers' videos of, of them, you know, ordering Starbucks, for instance. And as you can see in the video, it's not a drop is, is spilled. Uh, I'd say that drone deliveries are by far the best way to deliver food and beverages and also the safest way from the different alternatives. Uh, regarding uh, weather, so currently uh, we haven't certified the drone for harsh weather. Uh, so you won't see us uh, going to North Dakota anytime soon. But in the areas where we're operating, we're, we're almost, you know, operating daily. If you've got monsoons or those kind of, uh, you know, harsh conditions, uh, you won't see our drones. But usually you won't see humans as well. So we're pretty much on, uh, uh, on the same level. Our next version should be flying when humans would rather stay indoors. Yeah, you know, robots just keep getting better. Well, you know, I'd rather stay indoors, but a lot of time my wallet is like I get into Uber Eats or whatever and I get to the bottom line 
And it's worse than a Vegas hotel. You know, I got a 25% tip I got to put on this. I got a $5.99 delivery fee. I've got this tax. I've got that tax. I got the Uber fee. And it gets to cost like $15 just to have something delivered to my house. How does this help there? Because that's where a consumer would – like, oh, it's cool a drone would come. But ultimately, what do I care about? How can this – how can I pay less? People – so you're you're 100% correct. People who care about the drones maybe for the first few times – because of the novelty after that, all they care is about getting their food faster and for a more affordable price. And there's a reason all the traditional on-demand services are, are charging a lot, uh, especially in the suburbs. We're talking about a guy driving a one-ton car to deliver you a quarter pounder. That guy can make on average maybe two deliveries per hour. And, you know, he needs at least minimal wage and he needs to cover the expenses of his car and besides depreciation and gas costs, he also has a commercial third-party liability insurance, which, which costs a lot because he's using his car as a business. And if you take that same guy, and it's apples to apples, if he has a driver's license, he's overqualified to operate our system, and you take that guy and you put him on a flight track system, even today, uh, when we're you know still developing the system, that guy can control four drones simultaneously each drone can perform five or six deliveries per hour. So he's already making a lot more deliveries than if he'd be working for a traditional demand service. So we can offer that, you know, that novelty and, and we, it translates immediately to a, a more affordable delivery. What is he looking out for when he's watching those, those four drones go? And have you ever had any like hairy situations in testing you got to watch out for? So we've got three test facilities where we test drones from dusk till dawn, really daily. And over there, we've experienced everything. And the goal is that by the time we reach our operational stations, we've really tested everything and we've seen everything that can possibly happen. So far, it worked pretty well. We haven't seen anything that we haven't stumbled upon before in our testings. And we basically train our system so that when we have, for instance, we've got six batteries. If one of them fails, the drone automatically notifies the operator that there is a malfunction and just returns home. So the system automatically knows what to do. And the operator is there in case there's something that we haven't seen yet. And so far, we haven't, you know, it hasn't happened. How much payload can these things carry? And is there a, a sort of target weight uh, due to regulatory or due to, to tech that you're aiming for? It's more the uh, business side of things. You don't want to be able to carry too much weight because then you'll have a huge drone that costs a lot more. And the way I look at it is, you know, you're not going to see someone delivering a burrito in a brand new Mercedes or a a brand new BMW. And it's the same with drone deliveries. You really have to design your vehicle to match the kind of delivery that you want to do. So in case of a you know hamburger and burrito deliveries, uh, you don't want to be able to carry too much because otherwise you'll be carrying batteries and motors most of your time. Mm. Uh, today we can carry six and a half pounds. Our next version will be carrying a bit more than that. But you don't really want to be carrying more than that because uh, most orders are, aren't even up to six and a half pounds. Will everything be drones eventually, or is this uh, this is a category? It makes sense certain places and maybe not others. So we think it's uh, it's going to be a leading category, 
And now we're talking about food, but imagine a few years from now, uh, you'd want to order your next iPhone, and apples to apples, for the same price, you'll be able to get it with a next-day delivery, or you'll be able to get it from your Best Buy, which is like a few miles away within 15 minutes. Now, apples to apples for the same price, well, what are you going to choose? Mm. What about any personal courier use? Any plans for that? Uh, so no, not yet. Currently, <laughs> the, uh, the best uh, business model is like, you know, uh, uh, we call it B2C. It's one point where we can, we, and we have all those restaurants and retailers, and then we can spread uh, those items to the neighborhoods around the, uh, the shopping center. But in the future, we are expecting to perform returns. So you'll be able to, you know, order three different T-shirts, measure them out, and return the two that you don't like to the drone. Ah, I would like that. I would like that. I had to order two pairs of sneakers recently because I wasn't exactly sure online which was better. But now I'm already dreading like the uh, the whole return process. Even as easy as they make it, we're just exactly. getting lazy. We're just exactly. getting lazy. I would just like a draw. Well, I don't want to drive the Whole Foods. <laughs> exactly, and returns are so much more expensive for retailers than the uh, you know the uh, the shipping to uh, to the customers. So that's another thing that we hope to uh, to help solve, or you know at least lower the the. Uh, the, make the user experience better and lower the prices for both sides. So what do drone aficionados have to look forward to in 2023? What's up ahead for you and your team? Uh, better service, uh, bigger ranges, more payloads, uh, bigger, uh, you know, uh, more restaurants uh, and, and uh, extra retailers. And that's where we're heading. Uh, more deliveries to more customers. Uh, I can say that so far the uh, the user experience and the uh, you know our rankings are much better than uh, any other on demand service that we've uh, we've seen its results. So uh, so far things are looking pretty nice. Well, very cool. People who want to learn more, where should I send them to? Flytrex.com, uh, as well as our uh, you know Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and uh, TikTok. All those. Uh, Social networks, we're on uh, all of them. And you can actually uh, Google for Flytrex and see a lot of customers' videos. They're pretty fun. Uh, we had a few viral ones by our customers. You know, you wake up one morning and one of your customers uploaded a video that received a few millions of views. It's pretty wow. nice to see, uh, you know, people get excited with the uh, with drone deliveries. I think they do, you know? Well, capture that excitement, get that lightning in a bottle, and uh, good luck to you and the team this year. Uh, let me know. Any, hey, by the way, any plans to come to Tennessee anytime soon? North Carolina's not that far away. Uh, it's, it's actually true. So uh, we, we do hope to expand in the next, I'd say, 12 to 24, uh, next 12 to 24 months, uh, pending more FAA approvals. Mm. It's a step-by-step process. Uh, and uh, Tennessee should be a pretty good place for us. So uh, uh, I, I can't commit on a date, but we'll we'll add that to our list. Well, hey, we're going to have an in now burger here by 2026. You got about three years to uh, to hit that deadline, and you'll be able to meet in now burger in the middle. <laughs> sounds, sounds good. Well, hey, I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and best of luck with the drones. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure. Take care. All right.
few more things to look at over here, people. Let's take a look at this video right here. You can loop this a few times. This is a scary intersection. Dow's Dallas J. Dow's. He said, I think it's time we do something at these intersections. Lucky I saw him coming and finally caught one of these people on video. This is Cash 26 and ND18. Um, Kanita transport truck is eastbound with a stop sign. I see this way too often here. Brian Volk says, what else can you do with someone who can't follow the most basic of road rules, either by distracted or not paying attention? That needs to be addressed first by who is in the truck. Dow says, I agree 100%. Uh, it just constantly happens here, and there are way too many bad drivers out there. Yeah, I don't know if they need a light or something, but you're driving through Hoth, and next thing you know, you got a snow speeder up in the side of your AT-AT walker. Be careful out there. Uh, kind of a somewhat controversial post. Justin, uh, super trucker, over from What the Truck on Wednesdays and back the truck up. He got wind of a company, a carrier, that is using drivers that are very, very inexperienced. He made a video about it. Let's take a look at what uh, his beef is. So, boom, y'all, I'm a trainer. And this is my trainee, Siobhan. Look at how adorable she is. Now, I know what you're thinking. How the did I become a trainer, right? Honestly, yeah, kind of. You've had a CDL since August last year, so I did some digging. Now, she's not public with her carrier, so I won't name it here, but some very easy Googling. Uh, I come to find out that they allow drivers with up to three months' experience with them uh, to become driver trainers. I cannot overemphasize what a terrible, terrible, terrible idea this is. Other carriers have similar programs where, you know, if you have 90 days with them, They'll let you become a trainer, but only if you have at least a year prior driving experience. Uh, it's not the case with this carrier. Now, this app is full of drivers from all over the spectrum. Uh, you know, some brand new, some with, you know, 30, 40 plus years under their belts. All the veterans will tell you they don't know everything. In fact, the longer you've been at this, the more you know that you don't know. So why? And I don't blame this driver whatsoever. By all means, you know, do, do what you want. Uh, I blame the carrier in this case. There's absolutely no reason why you should be allowing anyone with less than two years experience trying to teach other people how to do the job, too. They barely know what they're doing as well. What do you guys think? In experience, obviously important behind the wheel of a truck. And that carries three months. Three months is all you need, and they're putting you in there training other drivers. You know, to side with Justin here on this one, Super Trucker, Three months. What do you get? What can you learn in three months? It's like your introductory, getting your feet wet. Period. I would. I would definitely think it would be. Uh, I don't know. Maybe not. Not the best move to put in such greenhorn drivers. By the way, Justin does a great job on our back the truck up TikTok. Go look up back the truck up on TikTok and give him a follow. He breaks down all these issues from a driver's perspective. You can also catch all that on backthetruckup.com too. Here's one more. Now, now let's say uh, you want to take this $2,000, right? Steam Logistics is offering $2,000 to quit. Maybe you go do it and get trained by a uh, three-month-old driver. Maybe you'll switch sides. You don't want to drive the desk. You want to drive the truck. Uh, what do you think, though? I remember I had Steve Cox on here, man, it was a little over a year ago. This isn't a new policy by them, by the way. I think that they recently emailed some staff about it, and that's uh, how it kind of came back up in the news cycle. But this is something that Steam has been doing for a while, which is like if you are nervous about your job, you think you're underperforming, you can just fire yourself and walk out the door with $2,000. Um, this is something that Zappos used to do. Zappos, as Alan Adler reported his article, you Zappos, after, I think it was, uh, speaking of three months, I think after three-month introductory period, that is when you could quit and say, this job's not for me, and you could take the $2,000 
and walk away. Although Michael Girdley, he brings up a good point. He said, I'd be curious how this has worked in practice. Do you end up with adverse selection, incentivizing your best people to leave? Like, for example, what he's saying is, why would I quit, right? If, if I think you're going to fire me, $2,000 is not enough to make me quit. My my uh, severance and the unemployment I can get is going to pay more. Why on God's green earth would I bother to do that unless, unless I already had a role signed up that I could jump into. I had some other grave or some opportunity I could take up. So I think Michael makes a good point, but Steam seems to think it's it's been working good for them in practice. Maybe they don't have a lot of people just taking the 2,000 when they, you know, go on to greener pastures or, you know, we've we got people come back here. We've some people leave freight waves, they come back. Grass isn't always greener, people. Hey, by the way, we got freight waves. I mean, we got Freightways, Rachel Premack, Uber Freight, uh, Chief Economist, Men's and Denf, and we get back to check out Justin Martin coming on What the Truck this Wednesday. If you like the show, look up What the Truck wherever you get podcasts. Yeah, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get it on audio. Um, you want to watch this thing and subscribe to us on Freightways' YouTube channel or download the Freightways TV app. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner, and don't be a stranger.